This is Channel 253. In this episode of Gimme the Mic. We are the stewards. We are the owners. We are the voice for the Salish Sea. Every single one of us that has an experience that relates back to it. And it's changing. Um, Things are changing rapidly now. And if you don't know where we've been, we can't know where we're headed. And so I hope that we all can look at the Salish Sea and notice what it is now so that we can recognize those changes in the future and maybe stop some of them or, or make sure that the right changes are happening. Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. the mic. Give me the mic. Hello and welcome to Give Me the Mic, a podcast to channel 253 here in South Puget Sound. This podcast features community voices and community topics. Um, My name is Julie Masura and I will be hosting this well, I was the host of these past um, episodes. This is my last one today, so we're super excited. Um, focusing on the state of the Puget Sound. I have a, I've had a series of invited guests that have joined me to talk about their experiences studying the Puget Sound and how that work has led them to their current positions. All has been connected to our neighborhood, and that's the 253. So Tacoma, it's time to give me the mic. I came to Tacoma in 1975 when my father was stationed at McCord Air Force Base. I grew up uh, in the Tacoma School District. Um, from I went from first to 12th grade. I'm a proud Lincoln High School graduate. I spent my undergraduate and graduate careers at Washington State University, <laughs> where I studied geology. After a number of adjunct teaching jobs, Up and down the I-5 corridor, I returned to Tacoma to join the faculty at the University of Washington, Tacoma. I remember as a small child smelling the Tacoma aroma from the paper mill, eating the dirt in my yard, and not being able to swim in the water in downtown Tacoma. I recall getting swimmer's itch from Wapato Lake. All these things I soon connected to the state of our environment as I taught a number of environmental science classes at the University of Washington. This is what brings me here today. I wanted to share my experiences studying the Puget Sound with the number of badass women scientists from our region. So we've already shared a number of connections uh, with one another, and now I'm excited to share my very last guest um, is to share her stories, her stories of research um, and all of her journeys along the way. So again, welcome to Give Me the Mic. My guest today is Tracy Berry, a marine biotoxin specialist for the Office of Environmental Health and Safety at the Washington State Department of Health. Hi, Tracy. Welcome to our show. (laughs) Hi, Julie. Thank you for having me. And hi, everybody out there. I hope you survived the heat wave and uh, are excited to hear my nerdy stories. Yeah. So I always like to kind of start off with uh, telling you a little bit about yourself. Kind of what's your elevator pitch? If I saw you and I walked by, what would you say about yourself? So give me your elevator pitch and tell us a little bit about you. 
I would say that I'm a Washington local yokel that stumbled into science. And uh, that's really who I am. I, I was born on the coast in a small town called uh, Hoquiam. And I currently live not too far from there, but I've had the opportunity to travel the, the country a little bit and be involved in some really cool projects. And now I get to uh, regulate shellfish and help people enjoy Washington's shellfish safely. And these are the people that I care about and the people that, I mean, these are my friends and my family. And I'm so grateful to be able to, to participate in that process and making sure that everybody has a healthy and safe shellfishing experience here. Yeah. So it's so great to have you. Um, Tracy, I like to start off with asking this kind of one question. And so kind of reflecting on this last couple of weeks, can you tell me like the nerdiest thing you did this last week? There are so many things. Uh, <laughs> that's that's tough. Um, what really stands out is last weekend, I was up at Lake Quinault and I was wandering around the the upper river there. And I kept checking every single little pool and little tributary of the river for benthic cyanobacteria mats. And I just had this incredible opportunity to, to work on updates to Washington State's program to manage toxic um, fresh, they're sort of like algae, but they're cyanobacteria. Um, they used to be called blue-green algae, but we've just realized that benthic cyanobacterial mats could be a huge problem. Mm -hmm. And Oregon has been doing some terrific work and has found that in what you'd consider pristine waters, you'll often find toxic benthic mats. And so I wandered around with a beer in my hand in 105 degrees and just couldn't stop poking the mats with a stick, wondering what they look like in a microscope and trying to figure out how many samples I should take if I can convince someone to test them. And that was pretty nerdy and nobody knew what I was doing, but I did. And it felt really good. It's like you want to have one of those little po pocket microscopes, right? And just kind of put it on your hand and take a look at, you know. <laughs> you know, the other nerdy thing about that is I actually have four pocket microscopes at home. And the other day I kind of did a, a test of all of them. Which one did I like the best? And then I got frustrated with it and was like, hmm, I have this really incredible microscope sitting on my desk. Let's just use that. Right. So uh, I think That's this weekend, yeah, I think this weekend I am going to bring a field scope with me and, and just take a look-see. So that's part of my 4th of July plan is to look at different benthic mats. I love that. And when you talk about benthic we're talking about stuff that's on the bottom. That's what benthic means. So um, it just, you know, it's on the seabed. It's the solid state of where critters are going to be living or or maybe resting upon, right? So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, cool. little scums on, on rocks and whatever uh, sediment or substrate or gravel. Um, uh, sometimes they can float to the soft surface and you'll call them yeah. scums. But uh, I'm just excited. You never know. They're the weirdest colors. That's the thing about um, cyanobacteria is they're so much more visible than the um, marine phytoplankton or algae that I usually work with. Yeah, and they can kind of aerosolize, right? They can they can actually release kind of some aerosols, which we'll get into in just a little bit. But let's go ahead and back you up a little bit. So, um, so Tracy, you know, we've known each other for a long time now, and I'm I'm really proud to to have watched you kind of evolved into this really badass woman science and scientist and stuff. But you know, when can you reflect back when the first time you're like, you know what? 
want to be a scientist? You know, I uh, grew up in a rural community and we didn't know scientists. We don't really still. And, uh, but I was always, always, always interested in the marine environment. Um, I still, what, what really comes to mind is the very first crystal I ever found. And though I'm not a geologist, all of these things are connected. And that was actually, again, found at Lake Quinault. I, I was four years old and I still have it. Um, but later on, um, just to, to back up and, and something that, that I think is really important about me is that I'm a high school dropout. And that's really not unusual in a community like mine. Um, but the universe just took me on a really cool ride. Um, so I, I ended up getting my diploma through another really cool program called High School 21 for Older Students. And I was 29 and I quit this really amazing job where I got to travel the country selling real estate. And I uh, just had no idea what I was going to do. Thought I was going to be a uh, sturgeon biologist. You know, you know people that work at Fish and Wildlife when you're in a rural community, and they're your heroes. Right. So I wanted to do that and then help save my beloved sturgeon. Um, but I started college right away, and I got invited to be the first community college student on a UW research ship that went out on the ocean, right. and that was the first time that I was like, oh my gosh, I belong here. I, I, I belong here. These people accept me for who I am and my ideas. And it, I don't have to say the right thing and be the right thing. I truly belong in the world of marine science. Yeah. Yeah. And all the creativity that comes along with that. Yeah. What was the ship that you're on? That was the uh, Thompson. Yeah. Mommy Thompson. So such a beautiful ship, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. So lucky. That's great. Uh, luckiest girl in the world. That's how I feel every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Truly, truly. And when you're talking about a sturgeon, can you describe what a sturgeon looks like? Because as soon as you said that, I can picture it, but I'd love for you to share. They're kind of cool, right? They are a, so picture a catfish with a yeah. long nose and magnificent um, like plate spines down its back. Mm -hmm. And they're a cartilaginous fish, like a shark, but they, they live in freshwater environments. So you find them in rivers and then they'll kind of go out into estuaries too. And uh, if you ever get the opportunity to see one, I hope that you're as awed by them as I am. Um, there's actually one uh, in a tank at the Bonneville Dam. And if you don't oh. know about it, you should check it out. It's actually been stabbed and people tried to steal it. It's a uh, pretty cool, pretty cool fish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I just wanted to share that vision of where, what I was looking at too. So, so um, you talked a little bit about your work before coming to UW Tacoma. I know you landed at UW Tacoma and you just were such a great student to have, but before you got here though, you had a really cool experience. Um, was it Grace Harbor? Mm -hmm. Yeah. College. yeah. Talk a little bit about your work at Grace Harbor Community College. Now, remember folks that Tracy's a student and she's doing this stuff. So Trace, go ahead and share your stuff. Uh, there. Yeah. Oh, uh, Grace Harbor was a magical experience. And, you know, I, uh, again, drop out rural student kind of went in there just super shy and insecure and not that I'm much better nowadays, but, uh, uh, there were just some professors there that really, really believed in me and, and saw something and, um, I will be forever, forever grateful. So I just want to 
throw that out there. Um, Julie and Monica, just if you happen to hear this, that's you were really in, influential in my life. But um, so in one of my biology classes, we actually had the opportunity to go out to the coast and sample phytoplankton with a phytoplankton, a marine algae specialist with the uh, ORHAB group, which is the Olympic Region Harmful Algal Bloom Monitoring Partnership. And it's a partnership between um, a few of the coastal tribes, Fish and Wildlife, Department of Health, University of Washington, NOAA, and- uh, I think ecology, yeah. Um, so they sent one of their specialists, Anthony O'Dell, out to, to Grace Harbor College where he'd do work on the coast. And he took us all out to Westport, so right where I live now. And we all sampled, had the most wonderful day. It was sunny, which doesn't always happen at the beach. And we took our water samples back to the college and put them on a microscope. And I got to tell you, I had like no microscope skills. I'm embarrassed looking back at it. Like I really couldn't get it in focus, but uh, <laughs> figured it out. And uh, we were just introduced to this wonderland that you can't even describe. So a lot of um, marine phytoplankton have a silica exoskeleton, basically. So they're like glass and I call them animals, they're plants, but they, they move and they eat each other and they have personalities, I think, um, bad scientists, anthropomorphizing. But um, it was just incredible. It's something like I'd never seen. If you got the light right, they'd be prismatic and you'd have rainbows in your slide. And um, Anthony, even though we were dorks, we had no idea what we were doing, what we were looking at, um, was just so patient and gracious. But it turned out that that was the first indication of the largest recorded marine biotoxin event, which right. was caused by Pseudonychia, which is a sort of a grain of rice shaped diatom. So that's one of the two main groups of marine phytoplankton and completely disrupted razor clam fisheries on the coast, Dungeness crab fisheries, Oregon or California to Alaska caused um, huge uh, marine mammal mortalities, seabird deaths. And Anthony didn't even let us know. He was just on the phone letting the ORHAB partnership know that we're seeing this massive bloom and we have no idea. But um, so that led, that was my introduction to phytoplankton was just this massive monumental historical event that I've just always carried with me. But you know, you're in college and you're busy, so you just move on. Well, the next summer they ask, um, I was invited to do an internship. So Orhab's first internship with a couple other students. And we followed the salt wedge. So where the salt water meets the fresh water in our estuary here at Grace Harbor. And I learned a lot about phytoplankton taxonomy or the morphological um, visual identification of algae, right? You classify them to different groups. Yeah. And so I somehow became pretty darn good at it. And then I uh, had the incredible opportunity to do work like that on numerous um, NOAA offshore surveys on the Bell M. Shimada. And uh, that would be in, con in conjunction with other really cool things like trawl surveys. So they're checking um, hake populations and hake is another kind of fish. Um, there's a really big... Um, Northern California Current Ecosystem Survey that they do, and they're looking at um, copepods, which are tiny sea bugs, 
basically, right? But they're really important for fisheries. Everything eats copepods. Um, but then those copepods also eat the marine phytoplankton that I'm looking at. So all these pieces go hand in hand. There's a ton of scientists out there um, sharing ideas and, and being excited. And, and you just couldn't meet a nerdier, cooler group of people. Yeah. Um, so anyway, all of that was pretty darn magical. And then I made my way to UW-Tacoma. Yeah. Yeah. And so all of that experience, I mean, that you brought, you know, as an undergraduate to come here to study, what was your major at the University of Washington-Tacoma? Uh, environmental science. And then I had a geoscience focus and I highly recommend everyone getting a GIS certificate as well. Yeah, 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 for sure. So, um, so you started, when did you start kind of making your way inside and started working on the Salish Sea? So you were, the, a lot of the work that you were describing, of course, is on the coast, which is awesome and very respectable. And I understand why you're back there, <laughs> but I do know that you, you kind of, started coming inland a bit. So can you tell a little bit in, about the Salish Sea and your experience of working here on the inside? So um, my first time analyzing phytoplankton in, um, in the Salish Sea was actually on the Shimada still. We got to go through the locks and come out that way. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. It's so much different. I'm seeing the same things as far as phytoplankton go. However, obviously the ecosystem's very different. And, and so you really do notice significant changes in communities of phytoplankton. And it was really eye-opening for me. Um, I hadn't spent that much time when I, growing up out on the coast, we didn't come inland. So seeing the Puget Sound and Salish Sea was super exotic. It still is to me to this day. And I get to work in it almost every single day. Um, and then with UW-Tacoma, it was much more in-depth. And, and through all of my classes with estuaries with you, Julie and Cheryl, um, out on the centennial looking at these phytoplankton. And now I do most of my work in, in the Salish Sea. And I'm just constantly amazed. I'm so grateful. Yeah, I'm going to back you up just a little bit. So, and Tracy, you've been talking about phytoplankton. And I just wanted to remind folks that that just means... Um, photosynthetic organisms, right? And so we, a lot of times I think we, and I think you would agree that we always think of phytos, th things that photosynthesize are plants, right? But the cool thing about this, these organisms that you, you know, have such a great opportunity to work with even as a professional now, right? Is that they swim around, right? So they're not just plants photosynthesizing, they're getting energy from the sun, but they're also, they get to swim around a little bit, right? Some of them, as we know, they actually eat each other. Wait, that's a plant, you know, they, so they do a little bit of both. And so they're just these fantastic, amazing communities that we get to kind of observe and kind of try to understand. And, um, one of the things we're trying to do is connect that to, you know, so who cares about this stuff? You know, okay, it's cool, it's fancy, it's like art, but we really do care because of the work that you've been doing is looking at, you know, what is the impact, not only to human health, which of course is where you get your money to do your work, but also to this ecosystem health, right? Looking at the different levels and how they, um, you know, within our food, what we call it the food web now, it's not the food chain, but the food web and how, you know, if you have... Any, anything that kind of gets disconnected in this food web is going to really affect the health of our environment, right? Um, 
So that was one thing I just wanted to clarify. So, and, and, and it's so great to see your eye. I wish people could see her face yeah. she's talking about this stuff because she's just like, it's amazing, big wide eyes. Um, and then I also wanted to highlight, she kind of backed up uh, and mentioned Cheryl. So Cheryl Greengrove, she was a, a previous guest. So please listen to that one. And, and I also, I, I always, I think um, every time you mention a ship, I just think that's awesome. So you've been out in the Tommy Thompson, right? So the Thompson is the University of Washington National Science Foundation ship um, out of uh, that's out of Seattle and going through those locks, right? So you were on the Shumata, which was another uh, university uh, National Science Foundation amazing ship that it's not easy to get on, right? So you're so, it was just such a great experience for you. But going through the locks is when we go from Lake Washington, which is near, you know, Seattle, and you're going from freshwater to saltwater into the Salish Sea. And just seeing, you know, the locks is just getting you kind of, it's your transportation in between the two. And that's really, really super cool. Um, and then you also talked about the centennial, the beautiful centennial from University of Washington's um, Friday Harbor Labs that unfortunately had a, well, it, it's not, it's no longer with us. <laughs> um, but the Centennial is also this really cool kind of converted old, what was it, a fishing vessel. Do you remember being out? No, that was so much fun to, to go up there and go see it. So yeah, I just wanted to kind of highlight some of those things that I think you and I get to take advantage like, oh yeah, 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 we can reflect, but just to share, yeah. One of the things that I remember, I'm, I'm a boat person, right? Grew up around marinas and I love boats, but I imagine myself every time I go into a port, I imagine what I would have thought if a, if a NOAA scientist or someone on a big research ship waved at me and yeah. I wave every time I come in, I wave till my arm falls off. And I, I hope that one of those little people out there remembers that. And that's, that's their science moment, right? I can be a scientist and scientists like me. Um, yeah. But you're right, uh, backing up on phytoplankton, why the heck do they matter? And why do I do what I do? Yeah. And uh, I mean, phytoplankton are our primary producers, right? They, they make all, they're where the food starts. It's sunlight and oxygen and, and they make the food for everybody else. Um, they provide over 50% of the world's oxygen. So everybody gives all the credit to the trees, but there's some little bugs out there that, that are doing some really good work. And I, I hope that uh, you look into them and check out even some pictures. They're stunning um, and they have such an important role in our universe and keeping the Salish Sea healthy. But we have a couple, um, we'll call them bad bugs. Uh, there's a couple players out there that, that cause some problems. And so we have a bunch of different categorized categories for what we call harmful algal blooms yeah. or HABs. And that's kind of when we get uh, large quantities of our bad players and they can just be ugly they can stink. They can um, clog the gills of fish so they can't breathe. They can um, kind of form soap that removes the um, waterproofing from animals like birds' feathers and things, and so they drown. And then we have some that produce toxins that make us super duper sick. Um, and in Washington, we have three three main toxins that we look for, and um, through that three main genus that we look for mm -hmm. yeah 
and we'll get, we'll get into tons of tons of detail about that hopefully in just a little bit because uh, that's the stuff that I love and that's that's kind of where we kind of connected when we started talking about harmful algae. So harmful algae, you know, just think about if you hear the term red tide, which makes us kind of cringe a little bit because it's not always red and it's not red tide, but harmful algal blooms or or even algal blooms themselves are just something that really gets our attention and, and really kind of gets us kind of motivated to, to, to look into seeing why, right? And so we'll talk about the why in a little bit. Um, so let's go ahead and take a really quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll talk more about HABs. Hi, I'm Eric Hanberg, host of the Channel 253 podcast, Citizen Tacoma. And I've been a customer of TAPCO Credit Union since I was a kid, really. My parents set up a savings account for me and I've had that account with them ever since. In fact, my first credit card wasn't from a big banking conglomerate. It was from TAPCO, and I still have that too. What I appreciate about TAPCO is that they are intensely local. Just like Channel 253, TAPCO keeps its focus on just Tacoma and Pierce County. They have easy to reach locations in the Tacoma area, and when I don't want to drive, I just use online banking. And they still help parents teach their kids good savings habits. The Moolah Kids Club teaches kids about savings, not only through interest on their money, but with special prizes like cupcakes and discounts at local attractions. So if you want to help your kids start a savings account the same way my parents did, check out our local credit union at tapcocu.org. My thanks to TAPCO for their support of this podcast and Channel 253. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Give Me the Mic. Thank you so much to our sponsors for their continued support of this podcast. So, Tracy, I was just during our break, um, I was just kind of sitting around thinking, just seeing you in you know, pair of shorts and your, um, your river sandals and carrying your Coors Light, just splish splashing around and everybody's just like, oh, there's Tracy. She's off doing her thing. And that's just what she does. It's just great. <laughs> That's exactly, exactly what I was doing and what I was wearing and what I was drinking. Um, oh. <laughs> your, your, your mental picture is really accurate, which is scary. Uh, apparently I'm really predictable. Oh, and maybe that bait. Did you have your baseball cap on? Your Absolutely. It was, I had to not get sunburn, right? So I was wearing my uh, Olympics hat actually represent summer games. That's awesome. All right, Trace. So you know, I think the Salish Sea is just an amazing, I mean, we're so lucky to be able to work in the Salish Sea and to do the work that we do. Um, and, you know, we're world famous and the work that we do um, is just so, so super important. Um, I'd like to, to kind of, um, I would love for you to share why you think uh, learning about the Salish Sea is really important to our community. Now, most of our listeners, we're from the 253. So we're here in Commencement Bay in that area. But, you know, it actually expands out throughout the whole entire region. Um, but, yeah, just to share with us a little bit, why do you think the community needs to care about what you're doing? Maybe the better <laughs> question is, why would you not care? I mean, how could you, what good reason could you possibly have to not care about this incredible part of the universe that's part of us, that we are so deeply connected? How could you not possibly want to know more and care? 
and, and be an ambassador for that place because we, we are the stewards, we are the owners, we are the voice for the Salish Sea, every single one of us that has an experience that relates back to it. And it's changing. Um, things are changing rapidly now. And if you don't know where we've been, we can't know where we're headed. And so I hope that we all can look at the Salish Sea and notice what it is now so that we can recognize those changes in the future and maybe stop some of them or, or make sure that the right changes are happening. Yeah. So one of the work that you do is, is as through the department of health, right. Is your, your explicit responsibility is to kind of talk to the community and tell them, you know, about their health. Right. So if I were wanting to go out to do some digging, right. What would I do? How would I get out there? To, and when I say digging, I should say when I want to get some clams or some oysters, what are some of the things that I should be thinking about before I even go out or even buy a bucket? The absolute first thing is to check the shellfish safety map. So the Washington State Department of Health has this super, super cool map in partnership with the Department of Fish and Wildlife. And so you can just, it's also an app. It's really easy to use. Oh. And you can uh, Google your beach. You can find it by location. You can just scroll around the map, whatever you want to do. And you can find your beach. And it will tell you the pollution status, which is also determined by um, one of the programs here at the Department of Health. And then the biotoxin status, which is meat. And then also the fish and wildlife harvest seasons are there too. So it's really a one-stop shop for what you need to know to harvest shellfish safely and legally. Um, and there's even information about what species have been find, found there through fish and wildlife monitoring population assessments. So if you're going out to look for some butter clams, you might as well check if you're on a butter clam beach. Um, oh. It's just a super yeah. powerful tool. Yeah. Wonderful. And so how do you, how do you guys test for, or how do you determine the biotoxins then? So, so of the, so what you just shared with us is the, the shellfish safety map that's um, published by Washington State Department of Health in partnership with Fish and Wildlife. Awesome, right? So you guys are two agencies within the state that are working together. Um, when we look for pollution, we're looking for um, basically more like sewage type pollution, yeah, or some sort of a fecal coliform, I think is what we're measuring right there. You don't do that stuff, right? Um, but you do look at the biotoxins. So how do you determine toxins in a region? Or let's let's say our beach, let's go Commencement Bay. How would you test Commencement Bay for biotoxins? So um, just, just so everybody knows, we have over 110 sentinel monitoring sites. That's what, what we call them. So 110, and this is routine monitoring. So during our, our traditional biotoxin season, which is the warmer months, um, we have 110 sites and then we'll scale that back in the winter. And so we um, have really good coverage. And once we start to see toxins, we will actually increase those sites. So um, we use our friend, the majestic mussel as our sentinel species. And I owe them so much. I, I write little poems about them in my head when I'm harvesting them, pulling them off docks. Um, I, I'm not going to recite one, so don't even ask. Uh, but we, we do that in partnership with all kinds of volunteers all over the Puget Sound and the coast and health jurisdictions and tribal entities. Um, sometimes people will call 
and, and be really interested. And we're like, Hey, we'd like to see what's going on. And so, so sometimes people just get in touch with us and they'll send us a sample and we'll test it. So we, we collect these muscles and then they get sent to our lab in Shoreline, the public health lab. And they run three separate tests um, on really high, big, fancy instruments. And they'll test for three main suites of toxins. So demoic acid it causes amnesic shellfish poisoning. Uh, does just what it sounds like, right? Causes a sort of amnesic, amnesia-like symptoms. Then we have paralytic shellfish poisoning. Again, like it sounds, it causes paralysis. Great, right? And then diuretic shellfish poisoning. And I uh, wonder what that does. Um, I hear it's pretty bad. Uh, and we've only been monitoring for that since 2012. So it's a really, really new toxin to Washington. Uh, and it we were looking for it, but then somebody got sick and uh, really wanted to share their story. It did, a, I think, a great public service there too. So we do all of that. And then we use the muscles as our sentinel. They pick up toxins first. They they filter just a ton of water. They're not picky about what they eat. So they're great sentinels. And then we'll start testing other shellfish too. So oh. it'll be an all species closure when we start to see those toxins that reach thresholds in mussels. And then we'll call all the commercial growers all in the surrounding areas and they will start sending us samples in too to make sure that the products you're getting, those other species that, that get the toxins in them slower are also safe to eat. Right. Oh, good. I'm just, I'm taking notes now. You know, I love this stuff. It's just so great. And just to remember some of this stuff. Well, yes. Even, oh, even better. A lot of places, um, the muscles aren't big enough. It's just really hard to test. So we stop cages and they're magical wonderlands. If you ever notice a cage with a orange and black rope and a toxic muscle testing tag, Maybe just take a peek at it. You'll find pinpoint gunnels, which are like vibrant green eels. I even ran into a baby octopus the other day and it just blew my mind, you know, pouring down rain, unexpected, um, new to Branks galore, like the most glorious sea slugs that I've ever seen. I mean, it just, it's always an unexpected treat. And everybody that I talk to, all of our, our local health partners just always find something magical going on in a, in a muscle cage. Yeah. And those are like, those are pictures that are texted like, Hey, Julie, check this out. You know, I love it. Yeah. I just got a text from, um, a picture of two of your classmates on, uh, the uh, Washington state department of ecologies. They were out doing some sampling. You would just love it. I'll forward it to you. They'll love it. So there were, you talked about three toxins, right? You talked about demoic acid, paralytic, well, saxitoxin, which is the paralytic shellfish poisoning, and then the diuretic shell or um, toxins. And those are three that, you know, why do we care? Are there other toxins? Yeah, but why do we care? Because they affect mammals and mammals are us, right? So, so remember that the, the primary um, focus here and why we get to study this stuff is because of the human health aspects, right? And the, the human, um, you know, how it affects human health. And then of course, we'll, you know, we get to broaden that to the whole ecosystem and that's super important. Um, but you did talk about some of the community stuff. Are you guys involved with other community scientists or are there any science um, programs that some of our, you know, um, citizens could become involved in some of those projects? Yeah, we are really, really, really closely um, aligned with Sound Toxins. 
Okay. Which Tell is a, a super, super, super cool group. Um, it's a, a C grant, UW, uh, NOAA collaboration, and it's citizen science scientists all over Puget Sound, and they do phytoplankton monitoring. So they're set up with microscopes and they get some training and they monitor for these cells themselves that produce these toxins amongst others, right? That we might not be focused on some that kill shellfish or have other big impacts on the marine ecosystem. Um, that group, if you haven't checked it out, please check it out. They are just doing tremendous work on, on bivalves and phytoplankton in, in Puget Sound. Um, there's also a great Facebook page and they just share really cool updates. Right now they're working to help collect um, data on huge shellfish die-offs because of this marine heat wave. I was out on Monday. Uh, if you guys don't know what day of the week it is, that was just the day that it was like over 110 degrees and I was in Hood Canal mm. and moon snails were just, yes. they were everywhere, um, obviously suffering and it'll be a huge topic of conversation in the very near future, what was going on there. And so Sound Toxins is helping, NC Grant is helping to monitor that so that we can better prepare for future heat waves. Um, yeah. We work really, really closely with the Pacific Shellfish Institute. Um, we help test, some, test shellfish for some of their projects. They're working really hard to keep, um, to learn about shellfish in Puget Sound and to, to make sure that we're, knowing what to expect with different toxins. We're looking at different accumulation rates between species, um, the impacts of different specific species of toxin, toxin producing genus, genera. Um, and then the Pacific Coast Shellfish Growers Association. So we, we work with all of these agencies, the shellfish farmers to first of all, share what we know but also to keep all of us together as a group moving forward to protect public health in the best possible way and making sure that we're looking for emerging threats all across the board. Um, Pacific Shellfish Institute does great work with kids. Yes. And uh, if anybody has kids out there, my favorite project is called What's Blooming in Bud Inlet. And they'll take, you go out there and watch them do all of the sampling, all the monitoring, and then you'll go through phytoplankton samples with Amy, who every time I get an email from Amy at PSI, I just light up because it means she's sending me a picture or something really cool. Um, yeah, check it out. Man, there's people doing some cool work. The other um, thing, we don't work with them closely, but um, Harbor Wild Watch out of Gig Harbor. Yeah. They do the coolest work, and um, because of the pandemic, they started doing virtual tide pooling. Yes. So if yeah. you can't make it to the beach, or you're from Ohio, or wherever you are, you can you can go on this incredible virtual field trip, or even if you're on a different part of the coast, um, just to see that with them is pretty amazing. I've learned some things. So so. Tracy, you just shared with us a bunch of groups, right? And so just to do a quick kind of reflection or just kind of review, the Sound Toxins is run through Sea Grant, which is a collaboration with the University of Washington and NOAA. And the the cool the neat thing about that is that is definitely ran by, they do have a couple of staff that run this cadre of citizen scientists that go out every single week. 
They give you those uh, volunteers a microscope, a net. They give them all the tools and all that they, these citizen volunteers are trained on how to identify phytoplankton or just it, all plankton, I, or I know. Um, and then they take pictures and they report what they see, which is great. So we have eyes all over Puget Sound, which is amazing. And it's such a great thing. And I think that we don't have very good coverage here in Commencement Bay. I know Quartermaster Harbor, you know who she is. She's been around for years, but but I don't think we have as much here in Commencement Bay, which might be kind of something to, to pique some folks' interest, you know, if you guys are interested and you can just get a hold of me or um, and I'll get you hooked up. But other people you talk or other groups you're talking about, the Pacific Shellfish Institute, the Pacific Coast Shellfish Farmers. Now, these are basically commercial farmers that are dedicated to just to the health of, of basically not just not only their industry, but of the Salish Sea because they want to keep their um, their uh, businesses going, which I think is amazing. And so a lot of money is donated to just to looking at the health. And it's wonderful to hear that, of course, you know, you are partnering up with them. And when Tracy was saying that, um, Amy sometimes, uh, was it um, from the Pacific Shellfish Institute? Yeah. yeah. When she's calling her and sharing stuff, she's probably asking Tracy what they are because Tracy knows a lot about these different kind of organisms. And so she's helping to identify. So people, you know, always will tap into her. Um, Harbor Wild Watch out of Gig Harbor, you know, us, our, our listeners here can just drive across and go see them once they start opening to public things. They do a lot of public uh, work, um, but they're they're wonderful. And there's a partnership with the University of Washington Tacoma to do some of um, some undergraduate research. And I've done a, a talk on my microplastics institute with them uh, or uh, research with them. So this is just great to hear. Um, there's another group that I was kind of curious about. Do, are you working with the muscle group? No, but I get the neatest questions and, and always send them that way. Uh, we don't do metals. Oh, yes. that's, that's ecology, right? And so I'm just looking at um, direct impacts on human health from biotoxins. We do have a toxicology group at Department of Health, okay. but um, ecology is doing some really cool work. And the Muscle Watch program is incredible. And I actually hope to collaborate more with them uh, one of these days. But um, through the uh, recent freshwater toxic algae project that I worked on, um, yeah. it feels a bit like doing another capstone. Um, <laughs> I, I just graduated yesterday, everybody. So I'm taking a week off to go relish in my successful graduation. Um, and so, yeah, I hope to reach out to Muscle Watch and, and maybe they'll let me uh, do another mini capstone or, or just at least help out. I'd love to participate in things like that and see some more some more muscle science because we owe a lot to our muscly friends yeah yeah we use them a lot to to do our modeling of toxins right in the Puget Sound and actually with the muscles too you talked a little bit about freshwater we'll get a little little off topic but but now we're using those to monitor microplastics in freshwater so we're we're looking at plastics and these muscles too and, and they're not only fresh but they're also within the estuaries and then the salt uh, water too in the Puget Sound. So this is great, Trace. I am so, so excited and I'm not surprised. It's been a while since we've had a chance to kind of visit just to hear all of the wonderful things that you're doing. Um, yeah, this is just awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Um, 
So, so we talked, what do you, why don't we, so I have a couple more questions to kind of round out our hour together, our time together. Um, if you were to look at the Salish Sea, right? And you as just a, per, as a scientist, right? Um, not representing your, your agency, et cetera, or, or even, I'll, I'll even broaden this to the coast because I know the coast is really what's in your heart and it's just right outside your bedroom door, right? Um, or your bedroom window, I should say. Um, what would you say about the health of the Salish Sea or out and you're welcome to broaden it to our world's oceans. You know, that's, that's really tough, Julie, because I'm, I'm worried. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think a lot of people are, I think when people aren't worried, it's because it's too complex of an issue to, I mean, it's just not easy, right? There's the ocean's so dynamic, which is part of, the earth is. And, and so all of these things are connected. So it's really hard to wrap your head around it where I was like, Oh, I can't do enough as a person to help manage and mitigate this, but you absolutely can. Um, if we all say I can't do anything, then that's a lot of people not doing anything. But if five of us do something, it's going to help a little bit. Right. And over the long term, and then we, we, convince our friends and family and we lead by example and um but I'm super worried marine heat waves Mm -hmm. um even what we saw last week with our atmospheric heat wave right that had a huge impact so what are we gonna do what are we gonna do something has to change because this isn't sustainable and when you think about marine time scales to how long it takes for marine water to move from the east coast and end up throughout the rest of the one big ocean, because that's what it is. Yeah. We don't even know what we're looking at yet. And yeah. so that's really where I am. I'm worried. We don't know how all of this is going to play out. The The ocean's going to survive. But if we want to be a part of it, we should probably um, make some changes and, and think deeply about where we want to be as, as a part of this conversation. Um, but I'm also super duper hopeful. And, and part of that is because I know there's people like you and people like Cheryl, um, so many people that I've encountered that all care so deeply that we, we just have an opportunity to make a change and to see all of these young people that are so de- dedicated and such huge advocates for the whales. And um, yeah. I just, I'm really hopeful for the future that we can make a difference and we're going to come up with better ways to do a lot of things. And, and even the shellfish growers that I speak with, I mean, we're making moves. We are, we're absolutely doing our best as individuals to make a change. Yeah. 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 Shelf industry is great partners in all of this too, right? We're so lucky to have really careful, thoughtful, sustainable. Yeah. Business people in our region, especially in the, here in the Salish Sea. So. So one of the things I've been working Mm -hmm. on with my little foray into the freshwater world, um, Joan Hardy, who helped create the freshwater program, did a lot of work on um, freshwater toxins accumulated in shellfish. And they're doing some great work with the Pierce County Health Department to look at this. And then recently we found a a pond out on the coast where those toxins seem to be draining out into the ocean on razor clam beaches. And so this is my new pet project is to be deeply aware and to raise awareness with shellfish farmers too. And I just can't wait to see where it goes. Even if it doesn't pan out, um, it's us looking to the future to make sure that we're protecting everybody. And gosh darn it, am I excited. 
I love it. I can see you sitting, like I said, in a bar, just chatting with the guys around you. Did you know about microcystins? <laughs> I'm still everybody's favorite scientist bartender around here. And uh, I can't go anywhere without people asking me about uh, biotoxins. And it's wonderful. I just couldn't be happier. Yeah, it's like me in plastic. So I feel you. And you know, and if someone wants to listen, that's just a, the best treat, right? That people really want to listen to you. So yeah, I think people are starting to get to the point where they uh, wish they never ask. But um, too bad you started me. I'm going to talk for a while about beautiful algae. So. That's right. Um, before we leave today, I want you to share one unique thing about yourselves that you'd like to share with us. This one I I been thinking uh that's a tough one like there's so many cool things you want to share a cool thing but everybody's got cool things and I've never met another person in my life thus far that has a um fruit phobia so that's 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 my thing I haven't eaten fruit really since I was seven years old don't even like the word there's caveats I'm a scientist they're all fruiting bodies right mushrooms whatever um but that's my thing and it's a true phobia. I don't have to explain it. It's an irrational fear and uh, pretty unique. And every time I'd bring melon to a meeting, you're like, no, still, no, thank you. Right. I could never remember. Yeah. Well, I tended bar for a little while, so you can't escape it. So the phobia, I've gotten better at hiding the phobia, but uh, here I am. But I sure love phytoplankton. And luckily, there's no fruit-shaped phytoplankton. What is the one that looks like a, oh, the spaceship guy? Protoparadinium. That doesn't look like fruit. It looks like an upside-down pear, but I'll let that go. <laughs> or a peach. It looks like an upside-down peach. Hey, Tracy, I just want to thank you so much so much for joining us today and it was so much fun you know hearing and just reflecting with you again and all your stories and about all the work that you're doing today and and we are so lucky to have you I'm so lucky to have been able to to be you know uh one of your professors um while your short time here we didn't have you long enough but I'm so glad that we still get to work together as professionals um so listeners of give me the mic um Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to share, you know, my favorite badass women scientists from the Puget Sound and uh, continue listening to Channel 253. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye. Did you know Channel 253 is member supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you. Give me the mic as part of the Channel 253 podcast network. Check out our other shows, Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Art Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Crossing Division, Citizen Tacoma, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.